glad to be with you. Um, and of course, you can uh, refer to me using the pronouns that she, her, and hers. So today, our scripture passage is quite a doozy. It's like 40 lines. And as much as I know you all love to hear me speak, um, I thought we'd kind of mix it up a little bit. So we've got a few uh, amateur thespians among us who are going to join us in a dramatic reading of our scripture passage for today, which comes from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. And I've been instructed to invite you all to take your, your mics out and make sure you put them in front of your, in front of your mouth, kind of like rapper style, right? One, two, um, one, two. So with that, um, let us hear what God might have be saying to us today. So he came to a Sumerian city called Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her. If you know the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again, and those who drink of the water that I will give them and will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband. You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then, his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, 
Rabbi, eat something. I have food to eat that you do not know about. Surely no one has brought him something to eat. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to the reap for that which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Well then, may God bless our understanding of this reading from Scripture. Thank you so much for being a gamer. Uh, Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this time together to hear from you and to hear from one another. Um, that, uh, that your word comes alive, uh, not just only on page, but when we speak it, when we embody it, uh, when we explore it and allow it to move throughout the space of our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so as we turn to investigating what it is that you might have to say to us today, I ask God that you would clear away those things that clutter our mind and prevent us from being able to um, hear you more clearly and um, help us to be present in a way that will enable us to, um, to hear you, um, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be transformed, and to be reminded. Greetings to our friends. Glad that you can join us. Many years, too many years ago, uh, while I was living and working in Seattle, I had a colleague whose husband worked for a tech startup. And at that time, especially, this wasn't particularly unusual. These were the early days of Amazon. And everyone was scrambling to get their thing going. But what caught my attention was her husband's title, chief evangelist. His job was to get out there and evangelize, to tell anyone and everyone about the good news of their techie product. On one hand, it was a little unsettling, right, Um, to hear a word that feels so specifically critical used in the realm of a startup, uh, startup tech firms. But if you really want to nerd out with me for a minute, then I'll tell you that actually the Apostle Paul hijacked the word from Caesar, who was constantly talking about the euangelion of the Roman Empire. So, you know, let's just say it's like a chicken or egg thing, right? But this idea of evangelism, of evangelizing, sharing about something you think of that is just so great that you can't help but spread the word, As weird and as off-putting as it might sound to those of us who carry a lot of religious baggage, it's actually something that all of us do all the time. Whether it's a little-known restaurant, a binge-worthy show, a new podcast, or a book you couldn't put down, most of us are evangelists for something. Well, for the rest of this month, we're going to be talking about evangelism here at UBC, why we do it, how we do it, and what it's all about. 
So this is the first Sunday that we're kind of delving into it. Now, like I said, I know that this term can carry a lot of baggage and can look like many different things to different people. Maybe you're thinking about our, our old friend who used to stand with the uh, microphone and the speaker outside of Old Navy, reminding us that smoking will send us to hell. Um, uh, so there are lots of ideas and images that might be coming to mind when you think about this. So part of the purpose of the series is to take time to clarify, to calibrate, and commission each one of you to be part of evangelism in a way that authentically reflects who we are, why we believe, and most importantly, our experiences of God's grace in general and at UBC in particular in a way that is real, that is joyful, and non-coercive. In our passage for today, we encounter a woman who gives us a great model for what that can look like. She was so radically made alive by her encounter with Jesus that she couldn't help but run out and share about it. But first, in order to understand why it was such a radical encounter, you could use a little background, I think. So Jesus is a Jew, and the woman is a Samaritan. And these are meaningful identifiers um, for them. They signify something. The Jews and the Samaritans have been carrying a generations-long grudge match that started over 700 years ago when Israel was conquered by Babylon. As a result, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed, and the Jewish elites were exiled to Babylon so that their gifts and talent would enrich the Babylonian economy and advance their technology. And the folks left behind were ones that Babylon had no use for, the poor, the uneducated, the untalented ones. So those folks were kind of basically, as, as Babylonians came in and moved in and gentrified and all that, these folks were basically absorbed into the Babylonian culture that had taken over. And since they didn't have any priests or educated leaders among them to help them hold on to their tradition, to understand it, to live it out, they did the best that they could. Meanwhile, the Jewish elites, the more educated, wealthy, privileged ones who had been pulled out of Jerusalem, brought into Babylon, they are forced to serve their colonizers. And they mourn their separation from Jerusalem. They long uh, for their beautiful temple. They wish that things could go back to the way that things were. And so they wage a campaign of resistance, dead set on preserving every inch of their identity and memory. And so when these Jerusalem Jews finally return, they have been like holding on, right? They expect that things are going to be the same way that they left them. They have this picture of what Jerusalem looked like, and that's what they have held in their mind all this time. Instead, what they find is that time has moved on, and the ones that they have left behind have made their peace with change and have figured out a way to build life together in this new reality. The temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was occupied, so they gathered in a mountaintop to worship in the best ways that they knew how. These Samaritan Jews had grown to find a new way to connect with God that accommodated and was true to what the limitations of their realities were. So all of this then, you know, the, the Jerusalem Jews come back and they're like, what? You know, this is unacceptable. And so instead of a tearful and joyful reunion between siblings that have been ripped apart, instead of collective lament and healing from the terrible violence and trauma that had been inflicted on them, the Jerusalem Jews turn up their chins and look down their noses. 
They proclaimed that they were the real Jews, that the Samaritan Jews were sellouts, half-breeds, and corrupted counterparts. So this is the backdrop of the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. The moment she sees him, she's stealing her backbone and holding her head high. And when he comes at her with a simple request, she is ready to serve back whatever he's going to give. But then what starts out as a theological sparring turns into a conversation that explores the deepest questions that she has been wrestling with in her own heart. Jesus sees her, all of her, and he doesn't flinch. She later describes him as a man who knew everything I did. Even so, I think what she has done is not what Jesus is interested in. I think he's interested in who she is. And so she feels safe enough to ask the difficult questions. Since he's a rabbi, and clearly an unusual one, since he's willing to talk with her, she wants to know about this Jerusalem conflict. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say, and what she means is y'all, this is a plural you, y'all say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. And behind her words are painful questions. Why do, why do we have to worship in Jerusalem in order to be considered real Jews? Why do you reject us? We did the best that we could. Haven't we also been faithful? Haven't we also been faithful? What do we have to do in order to be recognized? To be seen as fully human? To belong? To be loved? They are questions pulsing with pain and rejection. And it is here, at Jacob's well, where all of the hurtful words and stereotypes, the exclusion and rejection here, at the site which marks the moment and place when two long estranged brothers, Jacob and Esau, find their way back in relationship with each other. It is here where two long estranged siblings in the faith begin to find their way back as well. Jesus meets her in his pain, in her pain. What it means to be faithful, what real worship is. He says, it's not about location or education or even orientation. It's about spirit and truth. All this, all the other stuff, it's noise. Spirit and truth. That's it. And she thinks, that's it? That's it. <laughs> Her mind is reeling so fast that maybe she doesn't even see the inquisitive eyes of the disciples as she turns to go. A fire is too busy growing in her belly, and a revelation is burning bright in her mind. The passage says that she was so struck she left her jar of water at the well to run back as fast as she could and tell her people, spirit and truth, that's it. This man has given us a pathway from shame to self-respect from rejection to belonging, from brokenness to restoration, spirit and truth, come and hear it for yourself. The people are stunned and brought to life in a way they could have never imagined. Believe because of just, just because of what she said, but then even more went out to see and hear for themselves, to hear this man who says the lies they have been told about their second class status are just that, lies. 
When the Samaritan woman leaves Jesus, he says to the disciples, look around, look around you. See how the fields are ripe for, ri <laughs> <are> ripe for harvesting. <laughs> or harp for harvesting. <laughs> there are people out there who have been waiting, waiting for so long for a community that is willing to speak to our most painful questions, to see the truth of our lives and not flinch. Wondering, can I belong just as I am? Can I bring my whole self, the person that I love, the mistakes I have made, the things that I'm still not willing to work through? Can I bring my whole self, my questions, my fears, my vulnerabilities, and my hopes to the place where God's people gather and not be told that I'm doing it wrong? I'm thinking it wrong. I'm wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Is there such a place? Is there such a gospel? And here in our passage today, we have our answer. Yes. Yes. Here we have the answer in scripture and in place. This place. Many of you are here precisely because you're tired of locking up parts of yourself in order to belong. It could be about gender identity. It could be about sexual orientation. It could be about the questions that you have long harbored in your heart and wondering whether or not it's allowed to speak them out loud. It could be that thing that happened to you that still just feels so deeply embedded, a thorn that has grown uh, into its own, has, has found its own space within you that you don't know what to do with. You are here because you're thirsty. Not only for creation or community, but for something so much more. A living water that quenches our thirst. Why are you here? What has your encounter with Jesus or God at UBC been like? How has it transformed you? Why do you keep coming back? I want to invite you, those of you who are here in person, for the next few minutes to reflect, and when you're ready, to share with one other person on this or these questions. Why are you here? How have you encountered God at UBC? How has it transformed you? And for those of our friends who are online, go ahead and reflect. And when you're ready, drop your thoughts or reflections into the chat so you can participate in this too. So take a Take a minute or two to kind of reflect on that. When you feel ready to share, um, turn to someone um, about and, and share a little bit about what comes to mind for you. All right, I'm going to invite folks to come back together. there's a word that you have um, that uh, comes to mind when you think about what your conversation partner shared um, that you uh, want to highlight um, from, from their story about why they, um, they are here. And if there's anyone online, Darren, I invite you to, to also lift that up as well. Um, a word or two.
spiritual being in a spiritual drought. Mm. I'm accepted even though I'm old. <laughs> accepted even though you're old. Mm. Relationships. Authenticity and bringing our whole selves. Online. I belong. I have a place at the head of the table, not fronts. Mm. One of our online friends. I belong, and I have a place at the head of the table, not just crumbs. Mm. Recognition of spiritual needs that were fulfilled that you didn't even realize you had. Amen. At the end of his conversation with a woman, Jesus tells the disciples that he is full. Maybe you're feeling a little full at this moment. And they're confused. Because they just came back with an armful of groceries. They know it's only a bottle of mustard in a jar with one pickle floating in the fridge. <laughs> Even so, it's been all day, and Jesus must be starving. And yet, the only thing on his mind is how full he is feeling. Finally, after countless healings and debates and fighting with religious gatekeepers and trying with all his mind to get folks to go to a deeper level, he's found someone he's been able to connect with. Someone whose fear doesn't get in the way of showing up as their whole selves. The harvest was ready, and all he had to do was bring it in. We are living in times when people are thirsty. Thirsty for living water. Now, more than ever, so many folks are looking for a place where they can bring their questions, where they can experience healing, where they can be challenged, invited, and transformed for something greater than themselves. And so I invite you, and I challenge you, to take your story, the one you just shared, that is your story, and share it without shame or fear this week not from a place of coercion or control to save souls, right? But because you have encountered living water. Living water that is now a spring within you. Share it, gushing with life and vitality, hope and meaning-making. Share it this week and in the months to come as we move into summer, which has traditionally been our season of evangelism, which will kick off with Pride Month next month. Friends, the harvest is ready, and it is plenty. The people are thirsty, and you have living water in the form of a story that is authentically yours, and it's worth sharing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the living water that you give to us in abundance. 
We thank you that you invite us to be people who draw water from wells and share it with others. And so I pray, God, that you would grant us maybe the courage that we need, the words that we need, the moments that we need in order to share that living water with whoever it is that comes across our paths. Let your spirit prompt us and make it impossible for us not to share it. Not so that we can control someone else's beliefs, not so that we can uh, add people to the collection of, 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 uh, of saved souls in the ways that maybe we have been taught or have seen, but so that other people can come alive. We ask that you would help us to participate in the work that Jesus engaged in of encountering others in a deeper, more real way with authenticity, with honesty, and with love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.